0: Muskego, Waukesha County, circa 1950s. Whispers of a secret community hidden in the woods around Big Muskego Lake begin to surface among locals. Exaggerated and embellished by future generations, those stories soon evolve into an urban legend. The legend of Haunchieville. Accounts of a mysterious, secluded village of violent little people, which has terrorized children for decades and piqued the curiosity of high school explorers, becomes even more horrifying when we examine the birth of the legend and the cruel, cold, hard realities of one of our state's most prized historical attributes. Ringling Brothers Circus. Welcome to Badger Bizarre. A murder investigation would lead police
1: to the farmhouse of Ed Gein. Mass murder at Frank Lloyd Wright's Spring Green Estate, Taliesin. Now authorities believe the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer... parts such as skulls, skeletons,
0: And thank you everyone for tuning in to this episode six of Badger Bazaar. I am your host, Scott Whitman, along with me, the other host. The other host. Mickey Sanders. How you doing? I have Rick? a new
2: title for every episode. One of these gonna be just what it is. The dipshit who sits next to me. That one always fits. So we are
0: uh we have made it to summer, right? Summer twenty twenty two. We're at-, at summer wind. Not summer wind. Just, just the Memorial Day weekend, 2022. The kickoff. The official kickoff of summer. This was always one of my favorite holidays. Growing up, I think it's it's that way for kids. You know, you get the three day weekend because Monday sucks going to school. Right when you're Monday but, sucks. Monday sucks. Just, period. Yeah. But you don't have to go to school on Monday. You don't have to go to school till Tuesday. And then you go for like a, a, a day and
2: a half, right? And right. then
0: and, and then then you're, then you're done. done for the <laughs> and year. Then summer comes. Yeah.
2: So that was always my favorite holiday. Things growing have up. changed so much now, though, that they get forty day days off during the year now because there might be snow in three days, so we better cancel school. And if you
0: have one symptom of anything. Right, You have to oh, stay it's home COVID, right. for 10 days. And we walked have... through
2: 14 feet of snow uphill both ways, even though there's no hills in Appleton. That's
0: right. Crazy. And, uh, it, yeah, it was always one of my, even today, you know, Memorial Day weekend always reminds me of summer growing up at home, you know, with being in the driveway, playing, playing baseball in the street, Yeah, you know, Euchre on the radio, my dad, like, washing the car in the driveway. We had the
2: stupid little cutout. Carpet as first, second, third and right. all. Pieces of Astro <laughs> Yeah, And we We didn't even break that many windows actually That's, A couple just, but you know We weren't that good we of hitters I guess do that.
0: So uh, uh, a couple of things I guess have happened Since we recorded last A couple of newsworthy things first, Well first of all the Coons episode Big feedback on that a lot of verbal feedback on that. Really? Seems to be a, a, a popular episode. I think a lot of people remember that. Right. You know, because it was More recent somewhat recent. Than the other ones. And yeah. it was
2: just so freaking messed up. <laughs> I mean, it's The porn names are the ones that I've been, I've had regurgitated to yeah. me quite a bit. Yeah. People have actually called me. They just don't make movies
0: like they used to. No, right? and,
2: and I've been referred to as some of those names, so that's nice. I didn't have enough I won't nicknames ask. already. I'm no. Not gonna, I'm no. not going to no. ask to elaborate on you don't, that. You don't that's want me good. to. But, um,
0: one of the things that caught my eye over the last couple of weeks was this congressional hearing first time in 50 years regarding UFOs. So and UFOs have always been kind of a of, an, of a subject to me that I just don't know what to make of, you know, because I can't experience it for myself. You know, if I'm interested in ghosts, I can go ghost hunting. I, you know, I can find evidence, I can try to get evidence with that. I can go thrill seeking. I can't just summons a UFO, right? Well, so the, I mean, there are shows like
2: the the, or the Secret of Skinwalker Ranch, where there's there's places you can go where you're actually going to have that those kinds of experiences. Possibly, I mean, granted, that one's not going to be one you're going to go to, but there are
0: places that are
2: known to have those.
0: But just just sites. the fact that. Um, this seems to be something that Congress is taking seriously.
2: Well, a couple of years during COVID, a couple of years ago, they actually finally admitted that there are such things. The,
0: the Navy admitted that they, there are UFOs. Now, that or, doesn't, or UAPs, as they call them, right.
2: unidentified aerial phenomena. Now,
0: that doesn't mean that they're alien manned or alien controlled. They're just but, unidentified. You know, it, it is true that there are things in the air, right? Crafts in the air that are interfering with our pilots, right. you know, it, during training sessions and whatnot. Just that we need to know what these are and the fact that we don't know what these are, or at least we're being told that we don't know what these are, are, is an issue. And I think that the Badger connection to this, the Wisconsin connection, was that kind of one of the congressmen that went viral with, with, with how he was handling this, and I think who had a really good performance with Mike Gallagher, our congressman, and he showed up on the Pat McAfee show after this to talk about it. And I think he really got under the skin of the, of the two people who were testifying who are, you know, supposed to be the two guys in the know. And he's asking these guys if they know about this project and that project. And it was just a freaking dog and pony show, you know, and they're up there saying, nope, never heard of it. Nope, don't know anything about it. So and same it's, crap they've been of doing. Of course. Yeah. So it was a big deal by, you know, a lot of people leading up to the hearing. And it was no deal at all after the hearing because nothing was said. Typical government ever, Of course. The reaction. I mean, it's even frustrating congressmen who are looking
2: into this stuff now. I mean, they're being... Especially ex-congressmen and ex-politicians and guys who worked in Area 51 and all that. I mean, the stuff is coming forward more and more. There's there's one show that I love very much that we both are fans of on History Channel, but there's there's plenty of documentary shows that are referring to this stuff. And we've gotten to a day and age where if you still are firmly against the belief that Aliens exist. You, you know, you're kind of. Well, I, I don't,
0: so. I don't know. I'm not going to say I, aliens exist. I have no idea. But, but the possibility
2: is a lot more accepted than it used sh- to. Sure, it you're is. not crazy and, and for suggesting. And the fact that it should
0: it. be because, I mean, the universe is is How larger. How arrogant than, are we than what we can comprehend right. and to think Supposedly. that we're the
2: only ones? Why, well, you know, according to the math, yeah, there's there's maybe infinite galaxies, but at least 50 billion according to the math, which I will never be able to understand. If there's that many galaxies and there's that many planets in our galaxy that we don't even fully understand or know about, how can we possibly assume that there's we're the only, and I'm using this term loosely, intelligent beings that exist without, within the universe or the cosmos?
0: Right, and and I think that's a different question of, um, I think the belief that we're not alone is different from the belief that we've been visited by, by beings from another planet. You know? Right. And for thousands of years, I as think one show would we, we know this is factual, that there are flying objects in our skies that we're being told we don't know what they are. This is real. This is documented by the Navy. It's documented by our military.
2: And they might be extraterrestrial. They might be what, from other countries. Right. The
0: question, there's really three things that, that they could be. Right. They're either alien controlled. Or they're controlled by other countries, which is really, really bad. If that's true, because that means somebody is far it. and away ahead of us technologically. Right. Or it's us, and what we're we're just putting intentional disinformation out there, or there saying kites? we don't know what are there fireworks? what this is.
2: Are there little kids just shooting off drones and fireworks? And yeah, kites? I you
0: know, I think I think we've yeah uh, yeah I think they would. Uh, I think that's pretty much been debunked. I think it's 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 not anything natural. It's not anything like drones or anything obvious, like that. I yeah. think. It's it's something being controlled by intelligent beings that doesn't necessarily mean they're not from this world, but we need to find out. What but they I'm are. a firm believer that believer that
2: we've and I mean, if you think I'm a kook, oh well, because I'm a bit of a kook. But I'm a firm believer that that we have had alien contact for generations, if not thousands and thousands of years. So it you know it's something
0: that with. it's something that I. I Myself, I have not studied it at all. I haven't really looked into it at all. I'm, I think I'm more interested in the fact of whether there are UFOs. The alien stuff, I just don't know about. You know, I'd be when you know the visitation, the abduction stuff, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't right. know. Right, but,
2: but as quick as you are to believe in the paranormal, I would think you'd be open-minded to this whole. Well, I'm not. I'm, not I'm
0: sure I'm open-minded to it. I think the difference with paranormal is that I've, I've had experiences with paranormal, right. and I, I, don't, I've never had an experience. With right, paranormal. and I haven't had
2: experiences with either, but I still. Firmly believe both exist because I'm I'm just more open minded than you. Let's let's break it down the way it is. You know, I'm just way <laughs> open minded, and you're just a crotch. I'm fine old, with going with that. You're a crotchety yeah, I'm, old I'm, man. I'm
0: fully fine with going on the record with that. But you know, so that was one of the things that caught my attention. So I hope you know, as we say, we're on the eve of Memorial Day here. Um, you will all be listening to this probably when you're on your way back from your cabins or going into the woods. Uh, and I hope... Way to make it m- creepy. Maybe it's a good thing that you're listening to this on your way back, because... From the woods. What we have today, you may not have wanted to go in the woods after we, uh, we show out this doozy of a story today. You and may. you will listen. So a couple of personal notes that I want to hit quick. Uh, I'm going to be at uh, the Jump River Valley Historical Society in Price County, the weekend on June 25th. So just because you like it there or is there something going I on? I love it there. It's one of my favorite spots. Mm. In the state now? No, I'll be doing a... I'll be doing a oh, a, oh, it's not I will just be doing an everybody event. Everybody comes to Scott
2: Whitman. He'll be in public.
0: I'll be doing a book signing event there on... Uh, I'll be in the whole area basically from June 23rd to the 26th. So if you're in the uh, Fife Field, Phillips Park, Falls, totally Butternut area, which are hugely popular. I right. mean, they got recreational areas up there in the summertime, Actually, especially. Are, yeah, um, I, come find me; I'll be around uh, doing signings for my book. I will also be down in Hillsboro on uh, in Vernon County in July. We're looking at the weekend of July fourteenth through the seventeenth at the Cheyenne Valley Heritage Society's fundraiser they're doing there. Cheyenne Valley. I write about in my book, uh, Finding Dairyland, which is um, one of the, I don't know if it can ever be documented that any place is the first, but this is certainly one of the first of the earliest documented integrated villages, integrated communities in the country, white, black, native, you name it, all live together in harmony Building barns, dairy farming. Really? Yes, absolutely. It's, no, it's in, I mean that's Vernon documented
2: County. as as one of the first places that had m- yes. multi.
0: Yeah.
2: No kidding. Yeah.
0: Wow. Well, it was one really... of the was one of the first integrated communities where kids went to school together. They went. People went to church together. They helped each other out, and nobody gave a damn what color you were, what race you were, because they were all intermingled. See, you Wisconsin's know,
2: were, uh, not always bad. It's not always just psychos it's and murder. Not, and right?
0: No. W- nobody cut anybody's heads off. There's no or, heads and uh, buckets. Yeah. Or, uh, not always. Know, it it uh, was a, a great community, and they're having a big fundraiser there to uh, erect a gazebo to preserve that memory. And uh, so I'll be there on July 16th in Hillsboro. If you're in the area, again, down in Vernon County, uh, it'd be great if uh, you could come on over and, and say hi and let's talk some Badger Bazaar.
2: Or about the book itself.
0: Oh, or about the book, yeah. I keep forgetting about the book. Which is kind of why you're there right, in the yeah. first place. Yeah, That's possibly. It. it
2: might be a subject that you, you, you broach a little
0: bit. So we got an inquiry online. We we have, and and this is a question that I think we've been asked a lot of just in conversation, too, by various people. Carrie Kay uh, gave us a review, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And we have not asked this yet. There's always a good time to start, right? Let's start now. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please take, you know, eight seconds out of your time and rate and review the podcast, it does help. It helps in, you know, exposure. It helps in, um, it helps us with the algorithm. And so it's easier for people to find us.
2: If you listen to podcasts, you're aware that how much that such a simple little act liking and, and reviewing and all that stuff. And it doesn't, it doesn't take more than a few seconds. It makes a dramatic impact on anything that anybody's trying to do. So some of the, most wildly popular podcast that's how they built themselves up so if you if you like us and you want to support us please do that
0: absolutely and if you give us a five-star review like carrie k did and you ask a question we will we'll give you a shout out on the show and we'll answer any question you may have and carrie wants to know uh like i said and a lot of people have asked us this question i think
2: i know carrie k too hi carrie i haven't seen you in a while good to hear from you so
0: she asked so carrie k asked about you know what do we consume in terms of the podcasts that we listen to in this genre? Podcasts, authors, books, and whatnot. So I think because we're asked this a lot, uh, I think we're going to break this down, Mick, and huh? in, in, into because if really break it down to tell you the truth, if I had to talk about the amount of podcasts and books and documentaries and stuff that I consume. We could we could do an entire series just talking because you <laughs> podcast because you've actually a lot. drawn
2: me into podcast. I mean, I've I've gotten I've tried to be more diligent in getting more into it and, and, and researching and just kind of learning the tips of the trade and stuff. So yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. If you're just talking true crime, there's
0: a lot of podcasts out there. No question about it. And, and let me say this: there's a lot of podcasts out there. Um, Some of them are good, and I have an opinion on all of them. And what? And, and most of the time, I keep my opinion to myself about them. We and, are you respectful, know, of, of course, and so we, we do our best to try to to be on the positive end of that. And I hope uh, we're doing that for you. So, yeah, without further ado, let's answer this question, Mick. What kind of? Why don't we go ahead and and you can go first and talk about the podcasts in this genre that that you consume that you listen to that you're uh, that you're inspired by.
2: So I wrote down a few just just a small little list. The few that I like that are comedy based and they're actually female hosts which it seems like some of the funnier ones are female hosts. So my favorite murder by Karen Kilgariff and Georgia Hardstock. They're they're both a couple of stand-up comedians. They they talk about their lives and they, they, they gab a bit and they they're pretty funny and then they they go on and each one of them tells a different, depending on the, the subject matter that they choose, they tell a different story throughout the history of the country, a, a murder story. Uh, another one is called Morbid, a true crime podcast by Elena Urquhart and her, it's it's an aunt and niece combo and Ashley Kelly. It's just basically, I mean, it's a little, it's kind of humorous too. They're, they're just, they know each other really well and they, they talk about true crime, that's Kind of
0: the... It's huge. It's like the number two podcast in all of Apple's database. I mean, it's massively... Right, and right it, it's
2: really well done. I mean, I actually liked it a lot. And and like you say, they're, they're an aunt and niece duo, so they, they're real familiar with each other, and you can tell, you can feel the chemistry on Mike. But also, th- then if you go into more serious and informational, there's one called Minds of Madness. Tyler Allen is the host, and he, he has different guest speakers depending on the subject matter. Another one is called True Crime Fan Club by laney hobbs again it's a little more serious you know more dry and, and less comical and humorous and then finally there's a, a gentleman named jeremy Nier and and his other co-host ryan i'm not sure what his last name is there's one called exploring evil and that's more factual that's where jeremy Nier is just kind of it's like i said more serious and informational and then the other one is called cryptique And that's where the two of them just kind of have a discussion about these certain subjects. And finally, a Short and to the Point podcast where they're like 15 to 20 minutes at the most. Some of them are even shorter. It's called True Crime Recaps, hosted by Chris Nathan and Amy Townsend. Each one of them will do their own episode. Basically, they just give you a a real short. It's detailed and informative, but it's a 15, 20-minute at most episode, just giving you the details of uh, any particular case, so... These are the ones that I've found very interesting and, and very informative and entertaining. So, on to you, Scott.
0: All right. So I have um, I basically have three that I, well one's a twofer so there's four actually uh, I listen to I like I said I, I consume a lot of content but the three that I always of content of content right you but that. the three that I that I find myself going to the, the most in this genre I, I listen to things in in kind of all fields um, one would be up and vanished true crime podcast it's an investigative podcast and it's run by it's it's run by tenderfoot media and it's done by Payne Lindsay who's a, a, a young journalist I don't even think he calls himself a journalist I think he's just a podcaster to tell you the truth but he investigates cold cases and he's done three seasons so far and he basically just goes to the area where this cold case was and he gets right in the action he goes right to the players right to the people involved And he just opens up these wounds. I think he's very good at what he does. He cold calls them. He records everything. Basically, the podcasts are in real time while he's investigating this. And they're super informative about how the workings of these investigations happen. Not necessarily Payne's investigation, which is done as a podcaster. But he gets into the nuts and bolts of the police investigations as well. And, you know, sometimes their shortcomings, sometimes the good work that they do.
2: But they're going to have more insights because they have more ability to get further into the story.
0: All right, he goes, he goes right into the nuts and bolts of the story. The first one he did, there's three seasons. The first season um, is a name that if you follow True Crime Podcast, you probably know. It's the Tara Grinstead missing persons case from 2005 in Osceola, Georgia. The second season happened in a, uh, a very unique mountain town in Colorado called Crestone, investigating the disappearance of Crystal Reisinger. And then the third episode, the third season was in Montana investigating the missing persons case of Ashley Heavy Runner. And that kind of gets into a whole nother area of basically the epidemic in this country of missing and murdered indigenous women. And it's a fascinating podcast.
2: How many episodes per season?
0: Uh, Quite a quite a bit. Oh, uh, enough I, I, yeah. that you I, don't even know. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's especially twelve. the first one. It's a lot. Yeah. No, they're they're they'll keep they'll keep your time. No okay. question about it. And the fourth season is actually going on right now, and it goes back to the first season because it's a court case that's happening right now regarding the Tara Grinstead uh, case of the first season. So super entertaining, super informative. Payne Lindsay, I'm a big fan of. I think he does great work. Check it out. It's called Up and Vanished. Uh, the second podcast uh, is kind of like I said, is a twofer, and it's Darkness Radio. It, it, I guess a few months ago, it would have been just Darkness Radio, run by Dave Schrader and Tim Dennis, who who, and I've been listening to these guys almost since their inception, fifteen years maybe, maybe longer. Um, they basically started out as two radio guys in Minneapolis, and doing a one hour a night paranormal radio show that grew to huge popularity and basically in the beginnings of podcasting in the beginnings of internet radio their popularity really kind of went through the roof and anybody who's in the you know the paranormal field back to the original ghost hunters guys you know jason and grant ghost adventures you know zach dave schrader's actually been on ghost adventures numerous episodes anybody that's in the paranormal field kind of in that pop culture realm of the paranormal has gone through that show at one point or another, Dave and Tim are wonderful interviewers. Dave has gone on and done a bunch of stuff on TV. He's done documentaries on Discovery+. Plus. He's, he's done two seasons, I think, of The Holzer Files, which is a show that was on Discovery+. Plus. Great guys. Now, the reason it's not just one podcast anymore is because those two, who were buddies, and their show was super entertaining, and they were funny, um, and they would bring in other friends like Mally Fox, Jessica Freeberg. Uh, who I actually interviewed a few years ago. It just made for a real entertaining show, yet informative with a lot of credibility to it. Dave and Tim had had a bit of a falling out super recently, like in like this past Christmas or something. And uh, you know, for whatever reason, they' they're both super active on social media. They can speak for themselves about why that happened, and they have. Um, but long story short, they now have Dave broke out on his own and he now does the Paranormal sixty podcast which is actually recorded live on youtube and then the podcast comes out right after that and tim still does darkness radio so darkness radio with tim dennis now
2: and they both do it individually too right? they both do them individually and i've listened i've checked them both out since you mentioned them they're both really well done
0: yeah super you You don't you don't
2: necessarily miss the other guy they carry they carry the sound well enough by themselves no I,
0: i i i totally get what you're what you're saying i because i've listened to him for so long I do prefer them together, Sure. and you know, times when Tim wasn't on or times when Dave wasn't on. Um, but they're both good but by themselves. Uh, also. Of course, they're both they're both very good on their own, experienced, and knowledgeable, and more than talking. capable of pulling off a show on their own. And several years ago, they started doing Darkness Radio. Started doing on Tuesday nights. They did True Crime True Tuesday, so they kind of branched out into True Crime too. So Tim still does that um, now on on Darkness Radio. So Darkness Radio with Tim Dennis. The Paranormal 60 with Dave Schrader would be my second one. And my third, again, in the in the true crime genre is True Crime Garage. Massively popular show. That's Stra- one of my favorites, too. I just s- didn't mention it. Straight true crime. You know, they don't do a lot of other stuff. It's basically one case a week, and they really get into it. Um, Nick and Captain do a wonderful job explaining uh, and going over the case. They're massive. They're huge celebrities now. I mean, they're they're headliners at crime cons and stuff all over the place and deservedly so i mean they're very good at what they do they also nick also has started project Porchlight, which is a non that provides benefits to uh family members of victims murdered and missing victims so they they don't just you know carouse around crime cons they they do good work too for this field so check them out true crime garage up and vanished And The Paranormal 60 with Dave Schrader and uh, Darkness Radio with Tim Dennis. So if you consume podcasts like we do, check those aforementioned podcasts out and you will uh, have a very good commute to work or home from work.
2: Actually, I listen to them while I'm at work. Or while you're at work. I'm not usually driving. Every single day. Right.
0: So we're going legend tripping today. That'd be going, a good band name, legend tripping. Legend tripping. Huh. We're going to explore the legend, um, Haunchyville, Wisconsin. Haunchyville, which is which is it's quite the legend, I'll say. You ne- know, we, neither one of us had heard of it. No. So we grew up in the same neighborhood, that,
2: right? Like a block and a half same,
0: away, right? Half connected block. by like backyards and stuff. Do you remember like anything in our neighborhood? Like an urban legend like that, like don't go by that haunted house or anything like that. The man
2: in the blue van—that's about. Well, yeah,
0: I think that's everywhere though. Right. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I can't remember anything too specific from our neighborhood growing up like that. There is a house that wasn't far from us. I know it was about two blocks away, like around the corner from me, and it was set off the road, and it always had an overgrown front yard and like tree. The grass was always long, and. uh, The, the leaves were always hanging, so the house was always dark because there was never any sunlight on it. Which is probably and it was, abandoned. And right? it was painted, like, maroon, dark maroon, and it, like, was in major need of a paint job. Right. So, I mean, there was that house. Was blood. And that, like, you know, that always kind of had, like, a, a vague, like, rumor that it was haunted or anything because, you, you know, I don't think anybody knew who lived there. Because it was abandoned, basically. It wasn't abandoned, though. We found out later it, it wasn't. But, it uh, you know, to shit that much I'd and it be, was not abandoned. I'd be... Like riding my bike past it, and like, you know, I'd like speed up, you know, a little bit oh, like every, every time day, I came right? to that house. And right. but then I remember later on, like a few years later, I did meet the person that lived there. She was a she was a, a one of the daughters, and she was a little older than us. Then you dated her for a couple of years. I didn't, I did oh, not. Oh. Um, but. You know, she told me that she lived in that house, and I'm like, "What?" Well, but you're like totally normal. normal. Like, yeah. you can't live you look in that. like a person. I'm like, what? So other shouldn't than that, shouldn't you have like tentacles you,
2: coming out of your forehead or something?
0: You know, other than an urban legend, uh, you know, about a house that had no deserving of an urban legend at all.
2: And way back in the day, there were. It was a small area, but there were woods. Cause my my house, Scott lived on a block. The next block was where my house was, like half a block down. Behind that was a radio station, and behind that was a woods. Now it's all developed, and that woods is gone, but there was a creepy wooded area that might be maybe, maybe half a mile.
0: Yeah, right? I mean, creepy enough that we never really went into I, it, I don't know anything about that woods. Yeah, right? I don't think there I were any like, was there. stories about it. But right. which if, means there's bodies there probably. Yeah, there's, well, there's bodies buried in every woods. Mm-hmm. But if you lived in Muskego, apparently.
2: 23 minutes from Milwaukee.
0: You had uh, quite the urban legend that yeah. uh, that you were dealing with. Now, down as you're heading out of Muskego, actually south, when you're going down a, a long road called Mystic Drive. Th- now, see right there, like Mystic Drive.
2: Where, where does that get that name? like
0: again? I mean, you're you're a small town. Right? Nobody lives there, right? There, you and of all, all the words in the English language or native language, however you name your streets, you pick Mystic Drive.
2: Well, I, I mean. What I read over and over is that, is that the legend grew and grew more from Milwaukee than it did Muskego itself. That's that a lot of the rumors and stuff that spread came from Milwaukee, which I said was twenty-three miles away, more than
0: the other direction, right? It was, right, it was twenty minutes northeast. Right, yeah. but
2: but the point is, is that I mean, a lot of those rumors started in the big city where there's a lot more people, right? Not in this more rural type area. As it evolved, Muskego. I mean and the people in Muskego and all that it started to become part of their identity.
0: So as you as you head down Mystic Drive and you're headed into a a, a pretty thick woodsy area and you're headed towards the shoreline of Big Muskego Lake and behind a bunch of no trespassing signs and basically basically gated roads gated private roads right you you would according to legend be coming to uh, the secret. Well, I guess it's not secret anymore. It's been a legend for decades. But you'd be coming to the to the hidden, you know, very secluded village or community of Haunchyville, Haunchyville, H-A-U-N-C-H-Y-V-I-L-L-E.
2: And it dates back as far as the 1950s, early 1950s. And
0: I, I would, as we get into this, I'm, I, I would vouch that it goes back way further than that. That might right. be when the legend started.
2: but uh, yeah, th- I think that's when the stories, yeah. whoever created them, started. But yeah, the, the historical foundation of it goes long before then. So
0: Haunchyville apparently is a community of little people, of, of midgets, if you want to be politically incorrect. Supposedly. Now, they're apparently not nice either like they've been these little people who are called haunchies they're very territorial hence the name haunchyville um they've been known to chase curious explorers out of the area with various weapons everything from knives to throwing torches
2: stones baseball bats knives and guns and shotguns yeah Right, right and there's actually the legend goes on to say that if if you were caught they would cut off your arms and legs so it's understood what it's like to be small, and they would force you to live there with them afterwards. And it's also known, well, known or rumored that while they were doing this, they would have a chant that would go like this. Disrupt our peace, we'll cut off your feet to teach you a lesson and remain discreet. Count your blessings should you dodge a kill and never come back to Haunchyville. All right. so my, t- my, you know, my 10-year-old
0: self, who's, like, speeding by on my bike past a maroon house. Well, I was going to say, long, he's at the forefront long, all the day now. Even. I'm scared to death if I'm in Muskego right now, right? right yeah. I mean, I'm not going anywhere near these woods.
2: And that was the case, I've read, yeah, that people were just afraid to go to that area.
0: Now, you know, the, part of the interesting thing is that there are, or I guess visual remnants of this former community. You know, there were actual, this is real, stone Huts, kind of little stone huts that you could see about fifty feet off the road, back in the woods, you know, and they were old and they were crumbling down. So there is, there's testimony of this too online, and there's photos online that you can see where these actual
2: houses actually stood. The, at, the, there was little know, shacks. Time. There was there was legend that shorter stop signs at Lower Heights, tiny street lights, miniature roads, small boats—all that was the legend. But it, even, like, not that long ago, you could go there and actually see these small-scale shacks and stuff like that. Whether all these things existed or not, that was the rumor. But some of these things you could actually see for yourself, and they did exist.
0: You know, the community of Haunchyville apparently had its beginnings, you know, according to legend, in, in Wisconsin's very colorful and very real circus history. When these, these little people were—the story was that they were circus performers— who were very badly mistreated by their, by their manager, by the ringleader. So they killed him. And they, they cut off his arms and legs, right? And they strung him up in a tree. Right. And they killed him. And so now to, to avoid, because they killed this dude, to avoid prosecution and to avoid being caught, they basically went, went into hiding. And they, they went into this, this very thick woods outside of Muskego
2: and kind of created their own, their own village. Trying to avoid arrest and also the retaliation from other circus people, and they basically went into hiding because of what this happened. It's just it's reputed, it's a little hard to believe, but it's reputed that this area could have spread as as far across as from southwestern or southeastern Waukesha County into Milwaukee County through Franklin, Saint Francis, and then Grant Park in South Milwaukee. It the rumors have said that it spread that big of an area. That Might be a little hard to believe, which is where the rumor is, which
0: in my opinion kind of hurts the legend itself. Sure, you know, if you have an area that large spreading through various communities of these people, they're going to be much easier to see, right? right? It's going to be much harder to hide. yourself. More people are
2: going to find them, but that's just
0: that's the kind that's part of the legends, part of the rumor, right?
2: right. And the the gossip mill works that much, that it it, it spreads that far,
0: and you know, uh, and part of that rumor is that one of the ways that they they kept themselves hidden was that they had an elaborate row, an elaborate chain of underground tunnels. And that's how they they moved about, that's how they got around without being noticed by people. And so, uh, you know, legend goes one day, because this was all on private property, right? One day the farmer, a, a farmer on this land was digging up an old tree or cutting down a tree and he tapped into one of those tunnels. And so now they've been outed and that they couldn't they couldn't deal with that, right? You couldn't out them. So they killed this guy too, right? And they, they strung him up in his own barn, hung him by the rafters, and made it look like a suicide. And now one of the things we've talked about, obviously, in, in, in previous episodes is suicide in farmers is not, unfortunately, that uncommon. Hanging themselves from rafters in their own barn is not, unfortunately, that uncommon. So that's what they made it look like. So when this man was found in his barn hanging from the rafters, it looked like a suicide. And then when you looked on the, to the wall, when on the wall of the barn was written, according to legend, in blood, The haunchies made me do it. The haunchies made me do it.
2: And, according to legend, underneath the hanging body were found small footprints all around where he hung. And it said... That you can still see the barn. And as legend has it, the ghostly silhouette of a hanging body can be seen at night and even a shadow of it during the day, like a permanent stain on the wall.
0: So we just it, just it's keeps even poetic, it just keeps embellishing the legend, right? So it keeps getting more and more um, outrageous, especially with the, the, the murderous behavior of these little people.
2: The haunchies made them do
0: it. And now to add to this, they were guarded at night, or I guess all the time. By a, by a normal size man, which would be an older man in recent days. But rumor
2: said he was a giant, too, at times, because he was taller than little people.
0: A giant to them. Right. Right. So Referred to as the protector. And he was also an albino. So we have little people and an albino living in this, in this vicinity. Now, how this albino came to be is a story in itself, right, where he was a child. As a child he kind of wandered off and found himself in Haunchieville and the Haunchies there who I guess you know their first inclination was probably to murder him. Well he
2: found himself in the woods as a child. Right and found right. himself just lost
0: in Haunchieville.
2: Right. Well yeah essentially and he came upon these people. Right. And as it's understood he he treated them as equals which is why they were so violent and vengeful, because they hadn't been. And they, they didn't take well to especially normal-sized people who didn't treat him very well. But because he was an albino, he was treated like a freak himself. They, they accepted him in, especially as a child, You know, maybe not as, as vengeful and, and hateful at that age. And they, they, they basically raised him as their own.
0: So they wound up ab- abducting him, so to speak. Well, right. And, and raising, because he was different too, like them, raising them...
2: They accepted one another. Right.
0: In their community, and he grew up, obviously, to be a large man. And as a Mickey said, became man. their protector. And he's, you know, as the story goes, he kind of uh, protects the gates toting a shotgun, right. I believe. So- An
2: intimidating presence. Just to spread on with the rumors, legends have said that it goes as far as to say this whole thing was invented as a front for a distillery, liquor operation during the 20s and also something as simple as just a large group of retired circus performers mostly little people according to legend but all types of people that performed, just creating their own community away from the rest of the normal sized unaccepting world so there's a lot to digest when it comes to the stories that you hear when it comes to this whole haunchyville legend
0: so because you know for for decades this has been a story in the muskego community you know so you you obviously you've had And even outside of Muskego, even further up towards Milwaukee, like you said, there's been a lot of kids who have been exploring the area. Right. They're the ones who started the rumors, Looking for Haunchyville, right? And they're
2: the ones who want to explore it and find out,
0: yeah. And so much so that residents, because there are people that live back there in normal-sized houses, right, Um, they had to put up private gates to keep these people off of their roads, to keep people off of their land. And they had police patrol the area. And so, you know, in recent years, police were handing out trespassing tickets all over the place from these kids that came in, you know, looking to stir up trouble with the Haunchies in Haunchyville, which, you know, kind of adds to the allure of the legend, right? Because now it becomes, well, what are, you, what are you hiding? Why don't you want anybody on this land? What are you afraid we're going to find? So it kind of just adds to the legend itself when you have police patrolling the area handing out tickets for anybody that wanders uh, into what was known as haunchyville
2: fines and tickets upwards of 325 to 350 dollars. sure and when you're it's 17 years steep. old that's going to hit you well yeah? especially just because you're snooping around you haven't technically done any illegal act that's a lot of money for any of us just because you drove by a place you know so they want well to illegal
0: be, it is illegal if you if you go past a trespassing sign. Right, yeah of
2: course but but I mean, essentially, you're just a looky-loo. So a $350 fine is gonna be a lot of money for something right. you were just sitting in your car to do.
1: As I was told, the story of Haunchyville was there were uh, there was a circus and the circus shut down and the Carnies had no other place to go. So they set up all the, the people from the Sideshow and the Freak Show all set up a camp near uh, Big Muskego Lake and because they were shorter people. They built their houses to suit their needs. We ended up one night, we heard about it, and so we decided we were going to go try and find it. Me and my friends, then we drove around for a while, eventually traced back to its, uh, traced it to Big Muskego Lake near Mystic Road. We had to park kind of far away, and there was a long entryway. It was a gate, it was a huge gate. It should have been our first warning. But we parked and went in anyway. We walked probably half mile or so through the woods. Ended up going and finding, seeing these small houses. And these, kept hearing this weird high-pitched screaming sound. It wasn't human. I don't know what it was, but as we get closer to one of the houses, it it kept getting louder and more and more intense. So as we walked in... Um, we looked, it kind of looked like Golem from Lord of the Rings when he's eating the fish except he was eating a rabbit and we were hearing rabbit screams. It looked up and he had sharp fangs, his teeth, it looked like all of his teeth were filed down and something must have seen us because he got spooked and alerted and he started making all kinds of noise, noises I couldn't even attempt to try and recreate. They, they didn't sound human either. So we went. We started running through the woods trying to get back to our car. And it was then, like, their houses started emptying out. And there was, I don't know, there had to be 20 or 30 of them that were were trying to find us and chase us through the woods. But it was their woods, so they knew it better than we did. We were doing everything we could to hide and keep on moving as quietly as we could. And that's when we were staying kind of close to a road, and there was a, a van that pulled up and this giant is an albino kind of like the guy in house of a thousand corpses the uh, the one older brother guy that was kind of like, just bigger and bulkier he was he, this guy had his eyes shone red and light and he was just a scary freak and he started shooting he, he actually ended up peppering our car with shotgun blasts as we were as we were escaped away and that was a story of my experience at Haunchyville.
0: Now that is from the YouTube channel of Marquette University Television. Uh, obviously an interview with a supposed Haunchyville survivor, Haunchyville witness. Um, you can make of that what you will, but, you know, clearly urban legend stuff, right? A, a community of murderous little people chasing people away with miniature knives and, and shotguns sounds hard to believe. Obviously. They might have been
2: full size knives. I don't think the knives had to be small too.
0: <laughs> Maybe. Well, they had little hands. So you never
2: <laughs> you never you never not quite. That know. one hits home a little a little too much. Are
0: you part of the little hand club, Nick.
2: I don't want to talk about it. I'll so, punch you with my little fist if you talk about it anymore.
0: Most legends and lore are born from something. Right? This isn't this isn't just grabbed out of the air and right. somebody yeah. one day said, I want to start a legend about little people living in the woods. Like any
2: generalization or stereotype, as my old crusty friend would say, he's retired and sick of people, so he avoids them now pretty much. He used to say, stereotypes do come from somewhere. So even though they get over-embellished and they become ridiculously crazy to some point, they do stem from somewhere.
0: Right. I think the murderous part is where this, you know, the legend kind of falls off the rails A little bit, and it it looks like... that's what makes it interesting, It looks like those kind of started more towards the 80s. You know, when you're in the heyday of horror movies, you got Friday the 13th movies, you got the leprechaun movies with Jennifer Aniston. So, you know, I think the murderous little people chasing you from the woods parts kind of was embellished and started in the 80s. And the legend kind of died for a little while, until... In 2005, when Linda Godfrey and Richard Hendricks published their book, Weird Wisconsin, which kind of reinvigorated the legend and got people interested in this again. So, you you know, you saw a lot more talk about it recently. Now, they published their book and they had a lot of quotes in there from people um, who who said they've had experiences with, you know, unexplained things that have happened to them in that area.
2: This one's actually called They Attack With Their Little Knives, so that backs up your story. Quote, I'm from Bayview, and the legend of the Haunchies has been around since I was a kid. Supposedly, the Haunchies live in the woods around the lakefront in Grant Park and Sheridan Park around Bayview, Cudahy, St. Francis, and South Milwaukee. They wait for the big people, that's us, in parentheses, to park their cars and make out. Then they attack, wielding little knives. They have their own society in the woods, I was seriously scared of them when I was a kid and still retain a little of that fear today. Zaddy three unquote Zaddy three is the one who wrote
0: that Oh okay so that that's like an internet name right okay so you know that that book that weird Wisconsin book is filled with these quotes of people that I assume wrote in sounds like on the internet and so. and you know gave their testimony about what they remember from. Some of the courts are just stupid. Either. Sure, so I'm not even you know, sure why obviously could. some of this stuff is embellished, right? And you, you know, it's people taking a legend and um, you know using that as an excuse for. I'm a little surprised they've published stories.
2: some of these, some of these,
0: right? right. You know, obviously a lot of this stuff isn't true, right? You know, but again,
2: maybe that's the fun they were making of it when they published them in this book, too.
0: right? I mean, there's no little people aren't stringing people up in trees you know, outside of the woods, and you don't know that in in Muskego. You don't know that. But if you really take a deep dive and a deep look into Wisconsin's history of the circus, you know, you can some of this stuff starts making a little bit more sense. You know, and you can you can really kind of see the plausibility of the beginnings of an urban legend taking shape here. And like we said, they said in Weird Wisconsin that the legend goes back to the nineteen fifties. You know, I think that, that might be when the stories started being told, maybe, or maybe when the stories started being documented and written down. But, I, you know, after looking at this for the last two weeks like we have, Mick, I would vouch that this goes back much decades further than the 1950s. Oh,
2: sure. The history has been there since, since the time of a lot of our episodes in the, the late 1800s even. Yeah. Whether this is a true story or not, the rumors of it started supposedly in the 1950s. But right. the fact that the history has been there is what gave it a foundation in the first place. Right.
0: Wisconsin is the mecca of, of the circus. I mean, this is this is where, you know, the, quote, greatest show on earth was conceived. This, the, is, where, they this called is where it, it, a, it was born. They called it a
2: circus incubator, even, from what I've read. Certainly
0: the circus was not invented in Wisconsin. I mean, the cir- circus-like events have been going on since you know, Roman days, right? right?
2: Wait, Yeah, right, even before then. Yeah,
0: but, you know, this is the, the, what we know as the circus, the greatest show on earth. The American circus. The American circus, right? The institution uh, was born and bred right here in Wisconsin, and it all started in Delavan, which is not far from Muskego. When- 30, 30 miles or so? You know, and Delavan is known as the 19th century circus capital of America.
2: Yeah. One other thing we're known for. Yeah, and yeah. this is not even the, the worst thing.
0: So, two brothers from from New York, from Summers, New York. Edmund and Jeremiah, maybe they actually began a circus on the East Coast in the in 1840.
2: M a b i e. Where he's not saying maybe their brothers are right. Maybe nope. that's their name. That's actually their last name is maybe.
0: The Maybe Brothers. Right. They began a circus on the East Coast in 1840, and by 1847, it was the dominant circus in America. And th- so they were traveling throughout the East Coast.
2: Well, they, they first of all they grew up on a farm in Summers, New York, and they began developing this act. They they had this crazy notion to do this. Then they started touring, as you said. And that's where it is. Essentially, it was their mind baby. And then they, they decided to start traveling the Midwest to yeah. show it
0: off. You know, and when you when you look at what they were traveling with, this was two guys, right, who came up with this, this idea of this, you know, kind of mini traveling circus on the East Coast traveling to the, to the Midwest. And they had over 125 horses. They had eight elephants. How... how it's, where do you get an elephant in 1840,
2: right, you know? I mean, right. <laughs> and where do you get where do you get this desire to do and, and the energy and and to train them and I mean, they wanted to be famous really bad, obviously, but and like you said, and the worst part is they didn't stay here then. When they started this whole tour, they they would come to the Midwest because they figured we were the biggest freaks evidently or you know, the most welcoming to these kind of shows, and then they would return to New York in the winter.
0: Until they stopped in Delavan, right? <laughs> like Once everyone, you see Delavan, you are you ain't sold. leaving, right? So apparently, in 1847, they were they had a stop, a circus stop in Milwaukee, and they were on their way to another stop in Janesville, and on the way, they stopped in Delavan, and the brothers loved it. They they loved what they saw. They like, they were hunters, small game hunters, right? And they were. Hunting, what were they hunting? Prairie chickens?
2: Right. In 1847, that, on their route, like you said, from Wagga to Jamesville, they fell in love with this area because it was, as they said, a perfect winter spot to rest their animals, store their equipment, and develop new acts, according okay. to local historian Patty Marsicant.
0: Now, you know, Delavan's a great town. I've been there several times. Marsacano, sorry. It's a, a, a wonderful town. And it, it, I think that the, the selling point there was Delavan Lake and the kind of the lush fields around it, all the hay fields around it. It was a place where they could spend in the winter to rest and feed their animals, right? They had an abundance of hay. As opposed to they all an, going all the way back to New York. Right. America. They had an abundance of water. They could store their stuff here. It just made sense for them and the, because they fell in love with the area. That it was this, a wide open area. This was going to be the winter headquarters of their circus, and so they did that. They started that in 1847 and they continued being the dominant circus in America. And so when that happens, obviously, you have, a, you have one business that's bigger and better than the others. The others are going to copycat right. now. And, you know, it's like...
2: Look at how much money they're making. I'm going to do that same thing.
0: Right. You know, it's a snowball effect when you have all these other circuses now starting up. And what do they do? They come to winter in Delavan too. I mean, why wouldn't you? That's what the people who are making a killing doing.
2: Well, yeah, it worked for them there. We better go do that too if we're gonna do this.
0: So by eighteen, by the eighteen nineties, so now we're we're almost fifty years later, right? The eighteen forties to the eighteen nineties, Delavan is still king shit in the circus, right? With the, you have, <laughs> I'm you,
2: sure they referred to it as that. Sure,
0: too. I just did. Why not? Right. You know, I mean, you have it becomes the winter home of twenty six circuses, Delavan, and Wisconsin itself was the home to more than a hundred circuses. Over a
2: hundred. Had their start in Wisconsin.
0: Now, I personally would think of if you're going to winter, you're going to go somewhere where there isn't winter, right?
2: That's I didn't understand that every time I read it, and and I mean, and the other part is unfortunately circus people are known as freaks. It does make sense that way because freaks to seem to kind of keep originate. them out of society, I, mean, I guess. Yeah, there's yeah. a couple of freaks right here right, talking to you about I'm this sure. stuff, but but yeah, to to, I, to to rest your animals in winter in in a area that's known as the frozen tundra just seemed a little confusing to me
0: yeah but you know this is this is where they wanted to be and again this was this was circus haven
2: but new york isn't a whole lot warmer they have the coast effect i guess but they have their snow too so they just didn't want to travel as well far i know back but they
0: either. you know i would think that they would go south that would just R- right. be my you know i would just that would just be my opinion i never right. ran a circus though so <laughs> right these people know <laughs> I would think What's elephants want
2: to stay in the winter because that's not their natural habitat.
0: So, this was, you know, we're talking late 1800s here again, we're ni- into the 1900s. Like a
2: lot of our podcasts have been. Based we're, in-
0: we're talking. There's no Hollywood yet. This is the dominant form of entertainment in America is a circus,
2: and and that's not a joke. That's no, the truth. it's not.
0: It is. It is what it. It that is what it is. It, these the circus performers became celebrities again, as we talked about in a previous podcast. Look at. Look at where we are in this time. We had your celebrities were Frank Lloyd Wright as an artist. Harry it was Houdini. Harry Houdini, two Wisconsinites, and the dominant form of entertainment was born and bred right here, right here in Wisconsin. This is where it was headquartered.
2: Because everybody likes freaks, and that's what we produce. <laughs> when, when
0: we say Wisconsin has a very unique history, it's because it has a very unique history. And Nobody can lay claim to this stuff,
2: and that's what makes us freaks. And honestly, I, I, I am proud. I wear that. With all the pride in the world. I, I, I love being a Wisconsin freak, and I use the word freak as a, as the highest compliment I can give, so please don't be offended by that. It it means we're different.
0: Nobody can lay claim to the stuff that we can lay claim to. And, right. and you know, a lot of times people think that's embellished, and it's, you know, bullshit. It's, There's a circus museum
2: not. in Baraboo, Wisconsin.
0: Right. And
2: where, where a lot of this originated.
0: So, now, one of the people that came here during that time, that came to Delavan was a guy by the name of William Cameron Coop, who he had worked his way up from basically just being a stagehand in smaller circuses on the East Coast. And he wound up in the Midwest, in Terre Haute, Indiana, and he kind of started managing circuses himself. And then he became kind of a circus savant. And he's, you know, he's been called the greatest circus genius who ever lived. And of course, when you're a circus genius, you're going to where the circuses are, which is in Delavan, Wisconsin. It's not in Manhattan. It's not on the East Coast. It's not in Florida.
2: Every circus genius I've ever heard of did that. Of course. You
0: come to Delavan. So this is where he was. And he was running circuses at the time, and he was very good at it. And he got, you know, very well known. So he basically got a grand plan in his head that he wanted to go in business with the great Phineas Taylor Barnum, P.T. Barnum, who was already by this time the world's greatest showman. Now, PT Barnum had already he, he had already been retired by this point and we're looking at 1870 or so. PT Barnum was already one of the most famous men in the world as a showman he had been running his American Museum in New York for many years by the, this time where you know he displayed exotic animals and human curiosities. So this is when we kind of start getting into the American side of freak shows. But you know PT Barnum was not, the the dreamy character of uh, you know Hugh Jackman in the movie The Greatest Showman. Yeah, that that's, was a bit of an over embellishment. That's not who P T Barnum was. P T Barnum was a con artist. I kept wanting to see his and a grifter.
2: His nails coming out. Hugh Jackman's nails coming out when he was P T Barnum as Wolverine. Yeah, it never happened. It was disappointed throughout the whole movie. I'm just saying.
0: I'm not sure there was any Zach Efron's around either. At this time in, in 1870s Delavan.
2: But we digress. Yeah.
0: So, you know, by this time, as we said, P.T. Barnum had been running his, his American Museum where he had the quote unquote freak shows. This is kind of where this started. You know, by this time, he had already been in business with General Tom Thumb, whose real name was Charles Stratton. Everybody knows, heard of him. everybody knows who Tom Thumb was, right. who was billed as being an 11-year-old when he was actually only four. And he, you know, basically would—and he was a little person at four years old already. Right, you could still already a little person, that,
2: but part of the scams and lies that you're referring to. Right.
0: P.T. Barnum was, 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 you know, everything kind of was portrayed crook. as a fraud, no question. You know, Tom Thumb was—he was four years old, and they coaxed him and coached him up to do this this comedy bit and these routines that he would do, these dancing routines— he was drinking wine on stage at 5 years old. He was smoking cigars on stage at 7 years old. And this
2: is as a as a child and a little person.
0: All of all of this to, you know, for the amusement of of the people that came into his But I'm amusement. just
2: I'm just talking about the presence of the tobacco and alcohol. I mean, look what it does to us as adults with a little more heft to us than we used to have. And this is as a child who has no experience or knowledge of what it does, and and you're a little person as a child. I mean, wow, that's just sad.
0: Exploitation. Yeah, exactly. We're just getting to the surface of that. He also had, he paraded around an elderly woman on a stage and basically said that she was the 161-year-old nurse of George Washington. Just a random Still number. alive, right? And she was... uh not 161 <laughs> years old. She was an 80 year old former slave oh. who was blind, pretty much mute, and basically an invalid who really couldn't speak for herself. And he paraded her around as this 161 year old, quote, human curiosity. And he, she wound up dying in his care. She wound up dying while she, quote unquote, worked for him. And to prove to concert goers, I guess, to to his attendees that she was really 161 years old. He did a live autopsy on stage in front of a live audience. He cut this woman's body up. A doctor did. He didn't. A doctor did. Yeah, good idea. In front of a live audience to prove to them that she was 161 years old. And the doctor, after he performed the autopsy in front of this audience, said that she was no older than 80, which pissed P.T. Barnum off and basically waved the doctor off and said that this whole autopsy thing was an act. It was just for fun that she really was 161 years old. It wasn't an act that really was an autopsy that he performed in front of these people. P.T. Barnum, uh, not a great guy. A bully
2: of people that are less fortunate or phys- with with physical abnormalities. I mean, this guy was exploiting them and making money off them. It's not just
0: the exploitation. it's the, It's the fraud. You know, well, it's right. the He's complete line. Yeah. So he had something called the Fiji mermaid as well, which he said was this, Just made you know, up. this odd being that was half monkey and half fish. And it, it was basically an embalmed carcass of the head of a baboon, the torso of an orangutan, and the tail of a fish sewn together. It wasn't born that way, obviously. This was three dead animals that. Were sewn together to create this hideous-looking being that he paraded around as the Fiji mermaid, and he would charge people like thirty dollars in today's money to just look at this thing, to look at this embalmed carcass of this supposed oddity, which was created by somebody. That's all you were doing is looking at it. That's all you were doing is looking at it for thirty dollars back then. Well, now, yeah, right. Thirty dollars in today's money, yeah, roughly. Right. So obviously this is where the, quote, you know, the freak shows, the sideshows of the circuses really began to take off. P.T. Barnum then, he added more people, more little people. He added tall people, which he called giants. You know, this is when jugglers came in and magicians, exotic women. Bearded women. Bearded women. Uh, He did have Chang and Eng, who were the famous, you know, original Siamese twins. Everyone's seen pictures of them. Just to make it more of a spectacle. You know, but for the most part, his American museum was a stationary building. They did go on little tours, you know, around the area, but it wasn't a circus as we know of today. P.T. Barnum's place was p- pretty much a, a stationary museum, which burned down once in New York, and he rebuilt and opened it up again, and it burned down again. Maybe that's a sign from God. I don't know. Yeah, but
2: someone's trying to take care of it.
0: After the second time it burned down, he retired. He's like, I don't, I don't need to do this anymore. It's an I'm, omen. I'm, I'm. I'm I'm done. I'm richer than I ever thought I was going to be. I'm done just... So I'm going to hang it up. So this is when William Cameron Coop in Delavan reached out to him and basically conceived of the idea of the circus that we know of today and said to P.D. Barnum, just give me your name. Just give me your name. Let me use your name. I don't need you for anything else. Maybe you can give me some capital if you want.
2: You'd already hung it up, so what's the difference? But
0: just let me use your name, and I'm going to create this... Circus, this traveling circus, that's not going to travel with horses and buggies like most of these smaller circuses doing. I'm going to use rail. So he uses train cars.
2: Which can, it's freight. Those are freight cars. So you can haul a lot more. Which
0: allowed him to create... These Much massive bigger. circuses. Much bigger. He added, because P.T. Barnum only had one ring, right? He just had the one stationary building. He added two rings and basically invented the three-ring circus. So William Cameron Coop in Delavan birthed the idea of the circus, which has become the greatest show on earth in Delavan. And all he wanted from P.T. Barnum was, was the use of his name, name, and Barnum gave it to him. And so that is how— Just a
2: brand. That's all he got.
0: That is how the you know the— PT Barnum's Grand Traveling Museum, Menagerie, Caravan and Hippodrome was born in 1870.
2: And I'm not I'm not sure many people even realize that it was birthed here in Wisconsin. I don't I, I don't think anybody. Everybody thinks of Ringling Brothers, but Right, but I mean even I don't think people realize the nucleus the, the whole concept of the circus Two guys brought it over from New York. But, it, I mean, it was birthed it was here in Wisconsin. Created
0: right here in Wisconsin. Right? Yeah.
2: yeah, and I mean, that, that's amazing because it still exists today. And it everyone knows what a circus is and everybody envisions exactly what a circus is. And it was all born here and expanded and evolved right here in little cities that most people haven't even heard of, even here in Wisconsin. So that's now this,
0: this circus became a h- humongous deal. So much so that Coop basically left. He didn't need to do anything with it anymore. He, he got made a ton of money off it. And he wound up going to, to Europe, basically, to, to create things over there. And so he handed off the circus to other people. They started to notice a competitor, somebody that was kind of denting into their pocketbook a little bit. Another circus run by a guy named James Bailey. So they just bought him out. And it became the Barnum and Bailey Circus which is very famous as we know of today. Right, everyone's heard that name. Now, during, during this time, during the, the reign of Barnum & Bailey, uh, a small startup circus was being born by five brothers in Baraboo, Wisconsin, who were obviously influenced by the circus culture here, influenced likely by Barnum and & Bailey. And they wanted to start their own circus in Baraboo, and brothers Al, Charles, John, Otto, and Alfred Ringling started their own circus, and it quickly became huge. That sounds familiar. Right? Ringling Brothers Circus quickly became uh, a large competitor of Barnum & Bailey. And actually, when Bailey passed away, Ringling Brothers bought Barnum & Bailey Circus, and it became the name that we still know of today, Ringling Brothers and Barnum & Bailey Circus. In 1907, so they bought... Barnum and Bailey in 1907, and they, they basically ran them as two separate entities until 1919 when they realized that this is kind of a lot of work running two massive circuses, so they just conjoined them into one in 1919. So And that really becomes the golden age of the American circus, the spectacle that we all know, right? So it was a grandeur like nobody else. It wasn't just horses and acrobats and clowns. It was elephants, lavish costumes, state-of-the-art lighting, right? The three rings that Coop invented. And the Uh, sideshow. They had Broadway choreographers. (laughs) They had original music for all of their shows. I mean, they were all out. This was Hollywood before Hollywood. Traveling
2: Hollywood. Yes.
0: And, of course, right, the sideshows, as Mickey said, was a massive part of the draw.
2: In fact, I think people are drawn to the weird and twisted, which is why... Podcasts like this can exist because of the exotic and macabre and dark and true crime kind of twisted things we don't understand. So this these sideshows were probably one of the biggest draws.
0: Bearded ladies, lots of little people. Like we mentioned. Right, giants, over heavy people, fat people. You know, there was a fat girl right. and a fat man. Yeah. You know, the most I think the most famous of the fat girls, one of the most famous was right there from, from Baraboo. Her name was Ella Mills.
2: Just... Just and she an she, obese woman.
0: Yeah, she 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 was just a, a mom in Baraboo. She was very heavy. Obviously, she was almost six hundred pounds. So a staff member of the circus saw her and uh, basically asked if she wanted to be the replacement of the fat lady that they had that had just passed away. And she, she said, "Sure." The fat lady, right? You know, and she 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 was described as having three hundred pounds of a heart. And 286 pounds of personality.
2: Just over embellishment, right? I mean, there's no way her heart was that big because she'd have been dead.
0: Kids um, who had, obviously, a, a disorder where they grew hair on their face and they made them grow it as long as they could and they braided it and tied it and called them dog
2: men. Dog boys. Dog and, people, right?
0: Right. They had four-legged girls.
2: And these are things everyone's heard of with the circus. I mean, if once one circus did it, they would all do it because people wanted to go see these so-called freaks and it's unfortunate word and it's become a derogatory term but i mean exploitation is the word and it's it's kind of sad when you break it down
0: I want to talk about a a couple of quote unquote freak show performers to maybe start tying this into what became Hunchyville. And we can start seeing some similarities maybe of how this legend started. Clicko was a quote unquote freak. He was a guy from South Africa. He was from the Karana people of South Africa, which had a, a very unique original dialect.
2: Which is where did that term Clicko even come from? It had to do with how they spoke.
0: Right. When they, their, their dialect, they had a, a lot of tongue clicking in their their language, in their word.
2: It was just a tribal thing that they yeah. did.
0: So they named him Clicko. They basically, what a clever name. They brought him over from South Africa first to England, and he was a big hit in England, so he came here, they brought here to America.
2: Paid money for him, I'm sure.
0: And they called him the Wild Dancing Bushman. He was not a wild man. He was not a bushman. He was a man from South Africa, but he was four feet tall, and there are witnesses, documented witnesses, of him getting berated by his manager, beaten by his manager in front whipped. of people, whipped, whipped in front of people. Now this is you know turn of the century stuff. By the time he came over to America, I think the I think it was in, in the teens, 1915, 1917. And you
2: got away with this stuff back then, whereas nowadays it'd be and so crucified. they
0: would parade him up on a on a stage, and he would do. Uh, a dance, and they would call him the wild bushman, the wild dancing bushman, which he was neither of. He was just a guy.
2: Well, and, and to the point we were just making, to the point where we're so hypersensitive these days, on one hand, it's good because people have the courage and the spine to stand up for themselves. Back then, this poor African-American guy, <laughs> that's the only thing that made him different. He was from a different continent. He, he just went along with it because... That's all he thought he could do.
0: His name was Franz Tybosch. He wouldn't. He, he wouldn't stand wild.
2: up for himself because you 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 didn't. Somebody owned you. Somebody took you. Somebody said this is what you're gonna do. You just did it. So in
0: in his act, they build him as being a native of Madagascar, which he wasn't. <laughs> they build him as a bush a bushman, which he wasn't. They build him as a pygmy, which he wasn't. It's ridiculous. Um, he was even called the last remaining member of his tribe, and he he was forced to tell audiences that he didn't feel comfortable sleeping unless there were chimpanzees with him.
2: And he basically, went along with it. Basically
0: calling him a monkey.
2: That's what he was told to do, so he did it.
0: Even though there are no chimpanzees in the area of South Africa where he is, is from, but that right. obviously that didn't... Mattered. No. Now he toured with Ringling Brothers Circus. He was one of their biggest acts, one of the most famous acts. Um, just a sad story. And now there's the story of Eco and Ico. Eco and Ico, their real names. Not Mike and Ike, Eco and Ico. Right. Eco and Ico, that was not their real name. Eco and Ico, oh, Ico who were billed as sheep headed cannibals from Ecuador. Uh, and they were also called visitors from Mars. They were, they were actually George and Willie Muse from Virginia. Now, this is the story of how they came to the circus. They were working tobacco fields in Virginia in 1899 when they were 6 and 9 years old. 6 and 9, working tobacco re- fields.
2: I mean, talk about exploitation.
0: So now this is, obviously, this is post-slavery, but dead smack in the middle of Jim Crow South.
2: Right, which is why children are doing hard labor.
0: I have a 5-, 7-, and 9-year-old, and I can't get them to bring their cereal bowl. You can't even up get them to from, go to the bathroom, you know,
2: or stop playing video games long enough to wipe their face from eating.
0: They're working 6 and 9 years old working in tobacco fields. Now, legend has it that somebody saw them. And this somebody's name was James Shelton. James had a nickname. He had a couple of nicknames actually. One nickname was the Freak Hunter. The Freak Hunter. He went out traveling the back roads of America looking for these quote-unquote freaks, looking for people that looked different.
2: And at the time when circuses were so popular, there's no way he was the only one doing this. But he was well-known. Apparently he was a talent scout that had abilities. But again, there, there were many people doing this. Let's
0: talk about his abilities. So his other nickname was James Candy Shelton. That's what he went by, Candy Shelton. So how did he entice George and Willie Mews to come speak to him when they were working in a tobacco field? A candy. handful of candy. Now, obviously, this wasn't us the only thing back time to the man in the blue van. This. So legend has it is that they, he, he abducted them and brought them to the circus, and basically they had to live their life basically as slaves in the circus.
2: It's kidnapping with candy. It's
0: kidnapping. Now, the story is a little bit murky because there is evidence that their mother— so the question becomes, how did Candy find these guys? So there is evidence that their, their mother possibly contacted the circus and said, oh, here's the other thing I don't think I mentioned. George and Willie were African-American albinos.
2: I was wondering when we were going to get to that. Yeah, Right. They're African-American
0: albino. Albinos. So they had African-American features. But that's, they had, they had that's white the, skin.
2: That's the quote-unquote freak aspect that drew them into this kidnapping or abduction. Or,
0: that's uh, why Candy Shelton wanted them. Purchase. So there's evidence that George and Willie's mother contacted Candy Shelton or contacted the circus, contacted somebody and said, my boys are different. Maybe a life in the circus would be better. I'm not, I don't mean to, to say this in any kind of... Uh,
2: derogatory.
0: Derogatory way, but but in, in a sense that maybe a life in the circus, if this would work for them, we're talking 1899 here. She was afraid okay. they
2: didn't have a good life ahead of them. Right. So she thought maybe this is the only way they were going to have any income.
0: Could they make a living in the circus because they were albino rather than working? She knew they were working.
2: different. She knew they'd be made fun of. She knew they'd be looked upon differently, or looked down upon. So she... Whether you agree or not, she was trying to be a good mother, and, okay, this is how they might make money.
0: However, it was agreed upon that the boys would be paid well. Of course. They would not be kidnapped, obviously, that they would be able to come back home, she would be able to see them, whatnot, that they would just be traveling with the circus as, as performers.
2: There's no way a good mother would have agreed to anything less.
0: Candy Shelton didn't do that. After a while, he told the boys that their mother was dead that they had no family anymore. And so they whether they were abducted the day that he found them in the tobacco field or the day he f- told them that their mother was dead, those boys were abducted.
2: And again, the rumors say that she went along with it, You know, not, not selling her sons, but knowing o- hoping that— Hoping for a better life for them. Right, knowing that they were not going to be looked upon fairly. She was just trying to do what's best for them, as you said, and this horrible, horrible person did what he did.
0: So this was in 1899 that they first left to go to the circus. They were forced to grow their hair out in dreadlocks. So their hair is sprouting out all over the place. And they were billed as, like I said, sheep-headed cannibals from Ecuador, monkey men. One of their features was that they were supposedly found floating on a raft um, off the coast of Madagascar. They were presented as Darwin's missing link between humans and apes. Right? These are two kids from Roanoke, Virginia. And this is what the circus did to them.
2: And they were pulled from any normal normalcy they had. So as a result, they, they, they didn't get any kind of formal education that they had coming to them. Whether they were intelligent or not, because if you don't have an education, the, the highest IQ would come off as unintelligent. These poor kids at such a young age never were given a chance— they, they weren't going to be able to represent themselves. They weren't going to be able to defend themselves. They didn't know who they were or what they were supposed to do. So they were just going to go along with it. it, it when you break it down, it's just the saddest story.
0: And this is real, folks. This is a real story. It, this right. happened. There's a book about it called True Vine. Look it up. I mean, this is real stuff.
2: I can't believe there's not a movie made to
0: be. They're actually, they're, Leonardo DiCaprio's studio has purchased the rights to it. Oh, they're, they're so whether movie. he's going to make a movie or not, I don't know. Oh, but, good
2: for that. Um, good for him, I guess. So in
0: 1927, so we're talking to 28 years after that they were first taken from their home, their mother, who they were told was dead but was still very much alive. During the roaring and 20s. Ha- and had been looking for them. She couldn't find them. She basically didn't know if they were dead or alive saw a canvas basically a a banner for the circus coming to town Ringling Brothers Circus and on the banner was a painting of what she recognized as her grown
2: sons and again she did not sell them off she did not abandon them from 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 all testimonies that we've come to understand she was trying to do the, what's best for them if that
0: happened there's there's discrepancies about whether she knew whether she contacted the circus or whether, right. whether Candy Shelton actually did, or they just come took and, them. right, there's right. nobody really knows how that actually happened.
2: But the story should be painted according to all testimonies that we've understood. Mom was a loving mother.
0: Nowhere, nowhere does it say that she just gave up on them and right. she just gave them away. It doesn't. Right. That's not not how the story. We're just is. Is setting
2: up our story. So
0: in 1927, Mom sees that the, the circus is coming to Roanoke. And she sees her sons on a painted banner, advertising the circus. And her sons are not billed as George and Willie Muse, right? They're billed as sheep-headed cannibals from Ecuador.
2: Not even Eco and Frico or whatever it was.
0: Well, yeah, Eco and Ico were Ico their, supposedly Ico. their names, but right. they were sheep-headed cannibals from their Ecuador. Their names aren't gonna draw
2: people. It's what they are.
0: So she goes to the circus, right? And they get on stage, and Eco and Ico are on stage, and they—you know—they play music. They played fiddles and ukuleles and stuff. That was the bit that they had to do for their little sideshow here. So they get on stage, and their mom kind of makes her way up to the front, and one of the brothers notices their mother, the mother they thought was dead. For 20-plus years, they thought their mother was dead. Right? Yeah, these guys are in their mid-20s. They're mentioned. in their 30s by now. Oh, 30s, right. Yeah, yeah right. so they're grown-ass men They're now. adult men. And they see their mother, who they were told was dead, in the and they stop playing. They stop playing and they jump off the stage and they they hug their mom.
2: They hadn't seen her since they were six and nine. Six and nine
0: years old and they recognized her. So this creates this big hubbub, right, on on stage and and people don't even care about it. They just turn their back and they go, you know, find something else to gawk at. The police were called and and there was a big ruckus and she takes her boys home, which anybody else would too, right? And and then she, she winds up suing Ringling Brothers for back pay for 28 years of back pay because these boys were never paid. And and again, in in Ringling's defense, that's not their deal. This was James Shelton. Ringling Brothers doesn't know where James Shelton got these guys. Ringling Brothers has no you can say they're complicit in it because they don't ask questions. Right. It's a Joe paternal
2: thing. I don't I don't know what's going on. Right, I just don't ask questions. I don't a blind care. Eye, but you're still associated with it. So
0: they didn't Ringling Brothers themselves didn't kidnap these guys. James Shelton did. And Ringling Brothers didn't pay the boys. They paid James Shelton. James, but they're still guilty by association. Sure, sure. They're complicit in it, no doubt about it. So she, she, she sues Ringling Brothers for almost 30 years of back pay, and she wins. So these boys get a quite a hefty paycheck. And not only do they get quite a hefty paycheck, they agree to go back to the damn circus.
2: So they got the money. Mom did everything she could to... Right, the wrong, which you can't take away back those years of their lives. But as we mentioned in uh, one of our episodes, it's almost like being institutionalized. It's
0: all they ever knew, right? right?
2: This is our lives. This is we've grown an identity there. We've got friends there. We've got family there. That's that's who we are. They got their money. Mom got them back, and yet they still went. But that's our lives. They went
0: back to the circus on their own volition, and with mom's approval. And with mommy. She bluffing. did go along with it. Right. So now they, they kept working into the in, in the circus well into their fifties. Right. And they when they retired, they retired quite comfortably. They made a lot of money by then, right? Because they weren't getting screwed over by Candy Shelton. They decided on their own to go back to the circus. They were being paid as a performer should be. Not not that this is an excuse for Exploitation. Exploitation. But at least it was on their own volition this time. It was their choosing to do this. The last part of their life turned out to be okay. George died in 1972, and Willie went on to live. This is crazy. Willie went on to live until 2001, and he died at 108 years old.
2: That's freaky by itself.
0: So now to, to, to bring this back to Haunchyville and where I'm going with this is obviously we know Ico and Ico, Toured with Ringling Brothers Circus, we know that Clicko toured with Ringling Brothers Circus. We know that they did at the same time, and we know this because there's pictures of Ico and Iko performing with Clicko. Right, so they so knew they, of each other. They knew they didn't. They knew of each other.
2: They knew each other. So, and those are small communities. So you you would assume that everybody under that tent, so to speak, they and, all knew each other. They were a family, whether they liked each other or not.
0: Right, and the you know the story. Of Clicko being a little person, four feet tall, getting abused by his manager coincides with some of the stories of little people in Honchyville getting abused by their ringmaster and then they turn on them and kill him. Right. Right.
2: You, you, get, being, the, you get tired of being mistreated. So you. The retaliate. albino
0: brothers, Willie and George Muse, kind of coincides with the albino. The
2: protector.
0: Right, who, who guards Haunchyville, and not only that, but was abducted as a child by Haunchyville and decided to stay there. Very reminiscent. A lot of similarities here. So there's true
2: accolades that happened that could feed into these stories.
0: Sure. So now when, when Ringling Brothers' circus wintered for the season, which they did in Baraboo or they did in Wisconsin until 1927, well into the careers of Clicko and Eco and Ico with Ringling Brothers, when they wintered for the season, where did Clicko and Eco and Iko go? They right. didn't go home.
2: And right? there's there's no documentation. There's so, no. You don't know where they went. So right, which which does as you're as you're alluding to, it leads to this story of this place possibly whether it was over-embellished or not as far as them just being hateful towards anybody of a normal size and just stoning them or kniving them or gunning them or whatever, I mean, there's a there's a good possibility that these people did just kind of go off into a place where they wouldn't be looked down upon and just mistreated because they're human beings. Is, is
0: this where the circus sideshow freaks of Ringling Brothers Circus, not just Clicko and Eco and Ico, but all, all of them, is this where they wintered, right? Just to get away from the mistreatment. Well, oh. and you you want they're they're quote unquote freaks, right? So you don't want them living in 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 town. You don't oh. want them going to a grocery store and stuff because that takes away the whole freak factor, right? Right. They well, can't be normal members of society. You
2: say we don't. They don't. Sure. Yeah. They don't want to be partake in all that mistreatment because they've been mistreated most of their lives. Yeah. And they just want to go where they're going to be accepted by other so-called right. freaks.
0: There's there's no documentation, very little documentation of Ico and Iko. What was happening to them while they were in the circus? Because their mother thought they were dead, and nobody kept any kind of documentation of them when they were ab- when they were abducted. And there's very little documentation of Clicko. So show me documentation that they weren't. In Wisconsin, right at this time, you can't because the, there isn't. The any.
2: point is, the documentation doesn't prove for or against. So, as is the case with a lot of the stories we've been telling so, thus far, it's all speculation. It's all just people wondering or stories of people who were there at the time. I mean, if your brain works at all and you understand how human beings work, you kind of it leads you in one direction or the other. Right. But it's just it's a sad story
0: overall. Again, th- this is where you take away the murderous little people part of Haunchyville, which again i think was embellished in the 80s it might
2: have been embellished but yeah. but having said that if if you are capable of understanding another person's point of view you can understand why these people were fed up to the point where they might just be like okay you naysayers you you people who are just looking to exploit us or or make fun of us people who are not like everyone else are just coming here to to just look at us and and treat us like zoo animals you could see why they might be a little angry or violent and hostile and don't just get away from us. Any of us would act that way in that situation. So having said that, it's, it's, it's probably over-embellished. You can understand why they might have been that way if they were.
0: I did some research into the land of where the, the nucleus, the main part of Haunchyville, was supposed to have been off of Mystic Drive outside of Muskego. You know, back in plat maps in the teens, 1914, 1920. And a lot of that land in that area was all owned by one family. The, the, it's either the Boss or the Bass family, B-A-A-S. And in different plat maps, it's spelled sometimes differently, B-A-A-S, B-A-A-S-S, and sometimes just B-A-S-S as in Bass.
2: B, but B-A-A-S is a fairly that's the, common and name. And I think
0: in Muskego, that's still a name, is, right, is Bass. Right. And there's still, there's actually... The, the, the top of Muskego Lake, Big Muskego Lake, is a body of water called Bass Bay, mm-hmm. which is, is all connected, obviously, to the family that lived there. I don't see any circus connection with that family. However, there is a plot of land right where Hunchyville was supposed to have been that was not owned by this family. And it was owned—well, actually, when you, when you look into this, even when you go back to the Bass family and the land that they'd own, all in this area— there's a lot of evidence. There's a lot of documentation going back turn of the century that they're already trying to keep people off of this land, and the the the, the reasoning they're giving then is because there's a lot of Native American relics to be found, right? There's mounds to be found, which I don't disagree with at no, all. that's Obviously, the case, that's throughout, probably
2: it. throughout not only Wisconsin but this entire country. Right,
0: and it's they're all there's Indian relics all over the place. We here. know
2: we know the history of this country and how it originated, whether it's true or not. I mean, Native Americans dominated this country. that's why they're called Native Americans. So yeah, there should be relics all over the country and Wisconsin is part of the country, so it, may, it would make sense.
0: But you don't often see the lengths that they went to on this plot of land to keep people off of this. They went even they went so far as to even with with the detransactions of this land, you had to agree that you wouldn't because of these so-called Indian relics that were on there. You had to agree to not allow that land to be explored throughout the entirety of your life. Right. (laughs) That sounds like a a couple of hoops extra to jump through for a piece of land. And this is in 1905 again. It sounds like a
2: government cover-up.
0: You know, it sounds like something is being done here. Again, this is 1905, so this is well into the Ringling Brothers reign of where they're having circus freaks and where they're having sideshows and when they're wintering in Wisconsin.
2: And, but, but for whatever reason, whether it's Haunchyville or wh- who, whoever, why is this area being protected by whoever is doing it? It's just crazy.
0: Now, I said that this plot of land was not owned by this boss family. It was the, the name on the transaction, Amandus Priwa, A-M-A-N-D-U-S, Amandus. Very unique name, right? So unique that there's 140 people in the country today of 340 million people. There's 140 people in this nation today with the name Amandus. You looked up the name. I did. Wow. Because I was searching for this guy.
2: You're better at research than I am. I was searching for
0: this guy because he has such a unique name and I wanted to see what connection he had, if any, to a circus. Amandus Priwa. This name is nowhere. Nowhere. You're going to find this name on transactions, you're going to find it in censuses, you're going to find it in immigration records, you're going to find it if this is a real name. Okay, was this a misprint? Because as I just stated, sometimes they misprint things on on transactions or plat maps. No. I search for it under various connotations. Is this an alias? Likely. That would be my. Right. You know, when you think of this, Amandus Right? That name, Amandus, is, it's a Latin word, and it means worthy of love. Is that weird to you? When you're talking about maybe a colony for freaks? That's a uh, little weird to me.
2: Yeah, people that are sick of not being loved. So, Which, again, explains their, if if there was violence, it explains right. their hostility.
0: Now, you know, it, obviously, if you're Ringling Brothers Circus and you're, you want a place to put your sideshow performers for the winter, you're not going to buy a plot of land under Ringling Brothers Circus. No. You're not going to be John Ringling. You're not going to be Otto Ringling. You're going to, you're going to purchase this under an alias.
2: Right.
0: Amandas Priwa is found nowhere. If somebody else can find it, let me know, because I have found this name in not one other transaction or written record of this time, 1910s, 1920s, and earlier, anywhere except for on this transaction of this plot of land. That's an alias. The other interesting thing about this plot of land is it's blocks away, blocks away. From uh, an amusement park, which used to be in Muskego called Muskego Beach Amusement Park, which was the only stationary amusement park in the area at that time. Right. It started in 1861, lasted till 1967. Maybe is it, you know, is is it a little, is it more of a connection that this was blocks away from the only kind of amusement park in that area at this time? And this, this, you know, this was a huge deal, the amusement park there. And it lasted for over 100 years, and then it became, in 1967, it became Dandelion Park. I mean, did they, maybe, I didn't, I didn't find any um, documentation that they had sideshow performers. That doesn't mean they didn't. That didn't mean that right, I mean, maybe didn't. this was just an area that they were comfortable with.
2: Lack of documentation doesn't say pro or con. Of course. It doesn't say it's true or not.
0: So now, you know, Dandelion Park, the, the amusement park, and then which became Dandelion Park, Closed in 1977 when the Marriott Corporation from Marriott Hotels opened a a theme park a little ways south in Gurney, Illinois, and called it Marriott's Great America, which several years later was bought out by Six Flags, which we all know of today.
2: Well, even Marriott's a fairly big name.
0: Great America. We've all been there.
2: So there's like seven steps to Kevin Bacon going on all over the place.
0: Right. We have all of these little things that individually mean nothing. But when you put it all together, adds to there's legend. a lot of smoke here. Right, it adds to th- the legend,
2: yeah. And where there's smoke, there's fire, as you say. So whether whether this legend is ultimately true, Haunchyville, the Haunchies made me do it. Whether that's all actually true or not, there is some foundation to this. The fact that the circus was stated as an incubator for the circus there's exploitation people were treated badly people were treated like freaks and and I mean all that is true whether they actually branched off into their own area and started retaliating back at other people that that's speculation but it's a very interesting story if nothing else it's it's something for people to talk about and it adds to our history as as so many other things do
0: so obviously as time wore on, freak shows began to basically run out of favor with the American public for obvious reasons. And then in, in 1976, there's an article in the Waukesha Daily Freeman written about the State Fair. And the State Fair itself had a sideshow, a walk show. I think any, every carnival did at, that was in those days because they were such a draw. And Paul Bargren, B-A-R-G-R-E-N, wrote an article in this paper in 1976, August of 1976. And I want to read a little bit of that and tell you um, just about how these attitudes are changing. The, art, the headline of the article is Freaks Play on Pity for Dimes and Quarters. And he starts out, I always wondered what went on inside one of those freak show tents on the State Fair Midway. Thursday I paid 75 cents to find out. It was not 75 cents well spent. The show was long on fraud, but I expected that. What I hadn't expected was the way the deformed humans degraded themselves for a dime here, a quarter there. It's not a show of oddities. It's a show of pity. There was the man whose legs and arms ended in stumps. Outside, he was billed as Emmett the Whale Man, who juggles with his flippers. Inside, his juggling consisted of holding a piece of chalk in his mouth to scrawl his name on a chalkboard, and he used his flippers to take a cigarette from the pack and light it. There was Dolly, the show's hostess. I'm the one that they call half-baby, half-adult. Her limbs stopped growing at age eight. She has the use of only one arm, which itself is twisted and misshapen. I'm often asked if I've ever watched. she said. No, I haven't. Have I ever been married? Yes, three times. That's enough for anyone. Have I ever been to school? Yes. She gave her age as fifty seven. She was sweet and smiling, like somebody's grandmother. The show's major attraction, the one the hawkers outside kept pushing, was Vicky Condor, the four legged woman. Well worth the price of admission alone. If indeed she had four legs, she's what the medical books would call a monster, and her life must be mon- monstrous enough, for indeed her inf- deformity was a fraud and a poor one. The tattooed lady is Miss Gibson, easily in her seventies. She said she had begun performing with the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus when it was still under canvas. Her aging colored flesh hung in bags from her upper arms and sagged around her knees like jello. She was tattooed in a religious motif, a crucifix on one arm, a nativity on the other, the Lord's supper across her back, a head of Christ on either leg. She talked with a lisp and she gave a little girl cutesy as she finished her spiel and scanned the audience anxiously in hopes of applause. There was enough applause to see her off the stage, and she picked up her faded, orange, sequined robe and wrapped it over the lime-green, sagging tutu she wore. The light sparkled a little off the jeweled crown she wore as she ducked through the canvas door to await her next performance, 35 minutes away. The next act, a knife-throwing scam or something, began. I left. So that gives a little rendition, a little taste of attitudes of these freak shows that started.
2: But the spin is that they're exploiting themselves. Right. If you have any compassion, if you have any ability to adhere to the golden rule, which is do unto others as you would have done unto you, and you're capable of putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, these people were not exploiting themselves. This is the only means of income they thought they had because everybody looked down upon them their entire existence. That's how nasty people get. For someone to spin it that they were just trying to make money off these freaky things they had. No, that's the only way they thought they could make money. Ugh. That just it puts a lump in my stomach. It's
0: also talking about the fraudulence of the circus as well. Right. That some of these weren't even real. The four legged woman he said wasn't even real. Of course. Playing off the past. Right. So what remains of Haunchyville today, um, the stone huts that were there once are gone. Now those stone huts obviously could have been storage sheds for barns. They could have been you know, spring houses. They could have been wine cellars. They could have been anything in regards to the farms that were there. We don't know what those were. We just know that there were photos of crumbling small houses, stone shelters that correlated with with the legend of small uh you know houses. They've for, for, been there for another reason. They could have right. They could have could have been they were at, at a all.
2: smaller scale, but who knows what their what their purpose was. But so
0: where Haunchyville, the the majority of Honchyville was, was said to be located, is pretty much built up now. I mean the legend is 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 for the most part gone, I would say.
2: Right. It was built up and now it's it's fading away.
0: You know, there's there's houses built there now. the woods as you know they were back in the fifties and even through the eighties are for the most part gone. There's still some thick woods there. But, but they're for are giving most away part, to paved roads and mansions. Yeah, and they've been bulldozed over
2: and they're they're um more subdivision. I mean the nucleus of the area is not. It's still wooded, but the the remnants of of this possible legend are not there. Any of the outlying area that could have been that could have sprawled so far in Milwaukee, that that's very much developed.
0: So, you know, the, the area where where Haunchyville was is pretty much dead. The legend of Haunchyville, uh, you know, remains in stories, obviously, uh, like we're telling today. But Haunchyville itself and whether it could have ever existed or whether anything of it exists anymore today is gone. It's dead. But, you know, what, what in, in my opinion, what does remain a little bit is, you know, what, what role do, did Wisconsin play and what what. Um, how how culpable is Wisconsin in um, kind of attitudes towards quote-unquote freaks today? How complicit was the circus in regards to forming attitudes of people with disabilities today? You know, we celebrate our circus heritage as we should. Circus World Museum in Baraboo is one of our most prized possessions. It's one of our most historic sites, as it should be.
2: It's. I think it's one of the biggest circus museums in the country.
0: Sure. I, I, as again, as it should be yeah right. Ringling brothers is is king,
2: this was the nucleus of it yeah we're we're but if incubator. we're
0: if we're gonna celebrate that heritage again as we should, we need to maybe rectify the complicity that we had in regards to these quote unquote freak shows and attitudes that have formed today based on these side shows. We're not better today, you know, we look at these freak shows. From yesteryear, and we say, "Well, Jesus, look at look at how they gawked at those people. Look at what they did to those people." We're doing the same thing today. We're not going to the circus to watch it anymore. It's We're watching it major. on TV, right? We're watching my six hundred pound life, right? You know, Little people, big world, right?
2: Biggest Loser,
0: Biggest Loser. We're watching Doctor Pimple Popper, right? <laughs> you know, well, that and one pe- grosses me People I... watch these. They don't. They don't make these shows because nobody watches them. You know these. These are money makers for these TV channels.
2: Botched. Lots of these shows where people want to feel superior. They they want to rationalize their own existence so that yeah we we, we watch stuff that makes us feel better about ourselves. Simply put.
0: And I've never been to Circus World Museum. I think you know maybe that's a road trip that Mickey that's and I another, could, we could probably do. one we got to go there, yeah, we got all places, all kinds of places yeah, I'm to go, go to tomorrow. Let's get in the car. So I'm not sure. Um, how they portray the sideshows. I'm I'm more than confident that they talk about it. Respectfully. Of right. course. Um, but that's something that I'm interested in. I would like to see um, how they talk about that and how they portray that and, and the culpability that we've had as a state in terms of our heritage to promoting some of these attitudes that we live with today in terms of people with not not only disabilities physical, but just people that are different
2: physical abnormalities yeah it doesn't mean they're not human beings it doesn't mean they're not equal it just but back then you just got away with that more we we have become and i critique and say we're hypersensitive now because you you, you can't even say hi ah, without pissing people off to some degree it's a good thing i mean there's pros and cons to everything we we've gotten to the point where we're so aware of who we are not necessarily ourselves, but everybody else, that we recognize when we wrong any group of people now, which is good. And hopefully we'll reel it in and stop taking everything so seriously and realize that we just need to treat everyone like equals. We all do the same things, feel the same way. We just need to recognize that everyone has a right to be here as much as everyone else. And I think... I think we're getting there. It's just a struggle, and it takes a long time. But these are the kind of stories that get us there.
0: You know, it's interesting, as we were working on this, as we were doing the research for this episode, just last week, Ringling Brothers and Barnum & Bailey Circus, which shut down in 2017, supposedly for good, Hmm. right, shut down, announced last week that they're coming back.
2: It's amazing. They're coming back. We didn't even try that. That, No. We're just that good at
0: what we do. September of 2023, Ringling Brothers... Is relaunching. Right. And they're going to do it sans animals, I guess. So no more lion shows, no more elephant shows. And hopefully that means. Sans
2: means without. Sans in French, means by the way, <laughs> he's being pretentious.
0: And hopefully that means without sideshows. <laughs> Thank as you. As <laughs> well. They haven't said that, but I guess I'm going to, in my uh, infinite wisdom, I'm going to assume that the sideshows will be a thing of the past as well but we'll find that out September or, 2023
2: or hopefully that if they do exist it's voluntarily people people recognize their own unique traits and are willing to portray them in these you know th- these these shows that they're going to display because if you want to be different and you're proud of it that's fine we're getting to the point where we accept it and we we understand and we're not afraid to be that way and that's that's how we should be we should be recognizing that we're all the same, and yet we're all different.
0: We're all different, and the people that do have these unique differentiations, these people that have these uh, very unique characteristics are... Special
2: in the good way.
0: Absolutely. I mean, their they, 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 they
2: abnormalities, I, honestly, I don't... This is going to sound like a crabby old man, but I don't necessarily want to be like everybody else anymore because I, I'm not that impressed with how humanity carries itself. So... That's why I like the weird and the twisted and the bizarre and the strange. That's why I'm part of this podcast. That, that's why I love my buddy Scott. We're different and we're proud of it. And I think everyone should be. And I think we're starting to understand that about each other. We, we're all different, but we're all the same.
0: There's an admiration for people that, who are different. You know, There's an admiration for people who have to live differently than you know what we do, kind of on easy street, where we don't have to walk around with people looking at us like we're different,
2: especially in this country, for the most part.
0: So if we can, if we can hone that recognizing when people are different into praise and admiration, and respect,
2: appreciate as opposed of to of course, as opposed to look down upon.
0: You know, I think we can, we can be the leader as we have, as in um, kind of creating the attitudes of people that are different to this point. I think we can also be the leaders in maybe doing a 180 on that and turning it the other way.
2: Amen, brother.